This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. The book of Jude is a great reminder and a challenge to believers to contend for the faith in the days in which we live. You know, even today we see an increase of apostasy, false teachings, false teachers, even a direct assault on the Word of God and on God's church, even assault on God Himself. And the book of Jude reminds us that only the believers who are spiritually in shape or spiritually fit, so to speak, will be able to answer the call of God or the summons of God to be commissioned by God to walk in discernment and to distinguish between which is authentic and which is false. See, false teachers will continue to creep up in every generation, even in the church, turning God's grace into unbounded license or licentiousness to do what they please. See, grace is not given as an excuse to sin, but it's the abounding and great and amazing grace of God that is given to us to help us to walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh, and to walk in such a way that honors God in our relationship with God, representing God to people all around us. You know, the book of Jude is a constant reminder. I've written articles on it. Are you spiritually fit for the days ahead? I think I wrote an article a few years ago for some magazines uh, titled something like that. But it just keeps coming back over and over in my heart and my spirit that we're seeing a culmination of dark getting darker, light getting lighter, and we've got to make a decision. Which kingdom are we going to be a part of? Are we either putting a foot in the world and a foot with God, or are we going to be all in with God? Only those who are spiritually prepared can handle the days in which we live. And it's those who are all in with God who say, Lord, you are my Lord. There's none like you. And I choose to honor you, to love you, so I can know how to honor and love people. We need to be a tangible expression of Christ to the world around us. Years ago, I wrote an article about what happened in September 11th, 2001. And I want to share some of that article with you today. And at one time, I titled it, Where Have All the Heroes Gone? And I really do believe it's important for us because it's a challenge to keep focused on who we really are in Christ so that Christ in us can make a change to the world around us. I wrote down, on September 11th, 2001, the whole world was shocked by the pictures of commercial airlines crashing into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. And soon after the initial impact, we were subjected to the gruesome sight of people jumping to their deaths from the top floors of the 110-story towers. I still remember the moment watching that TV in my kitchen in my home in Houston, Texas, and my heart was overwhelmed. I was supposed to be on a plane that day, but I had changed my flights and rearranged the days because I had some other things that were pressing. And when I watched that, it broke my heart to see such human depravity that in our lifetime, in a world that we live in, that people could do such things to other people. But there were also heroes that came out of this tragic story. A particular note, I, I thought about the first responders, the valiant firemen, the policemen, the rescue workers, and everyday citizens who rushed to rescue the victims, many of them actually losing their own lives in the process of trying to rescue or save others. You know, our theme this year has been that 
A true witness rescues lives out of Proverbs 14.25. A true witness rescues lives or saves souls. And it's so fitting today when we, together, we need to be those who are rescuing lives, becoming part of something bigger than ourselves. During that time after 9-11, I remember the request for blood donors from around the nation who would quickly respond because of the need for blood for the victims and for so many that had suffered this tragedy, from the Pentagon to those in New York City and others. But even these heroic measures mirror the greatest act of love ever, the high cost of love that Jesus Christ gave to you and me. So I want to shift for a moment to the challenge to the church, to those believers who need to be spiritually ready and prepared for the days in which we live. Jesus said, no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was the greatest fireman who gave his own life to rescue perishing humanity from the flames of hell. He, the greatest also blood donor, who gave his very own blood so that we may live. He exchanged his blood, innocent blood, pure blood, for our sins of unrighteousness. He exchanged our robes of unrighteousness and filthy rags with his robes of righteousness. He truly was the greatest blood donor, and he truly was the greatest rescuer. Although the fate of many were sealed as the towers collapsed, rescue workers continued to work for days in the faint hope of finding some of their brethren alive beneath the chaos and rubble. These rescue workers became modern-day heroes. We also heard of the valiant deeds of the passengers on the plains that fateful day. Their courage set an example for all of us. We heard the reports from spouses and telephone operators who spoke with those courageous men and women prior to their deaths. Being able to dial out on a plane line from the sky was a comfort and a reassurance for those passengers. When we think of 911, it has been a different meaning for us now. Though a number we dial in time of emergency, somehow we felt helpless that day. Yet we weren't without hope. We can still call on God in time of crisis. Because of Christ's heroism, we have that kind of immediate access to God at all times. The church needs heroes today. Heroes of the faith who are willing to risk their own lives to rescue the perishing at all costs. Every generation needs heroes. Men and women we can look up to and emulate. The Bible is filled with stories of believers who obeyed God and did mighty exploits in different situations. We are told to consider their faith and imitate their manner of life. In fact, the writer of Hebrews makes several references to those who we should imitate. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, We do not want you to be lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. He goes on to say in Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not go weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Not finding positive heroes to imitate, many of this next generation of young people have sadly latched on to negative heroes. From perverse rock stars, gang leaders, television stars, athletes, and the list goes on and on. 
many destructive role models have substituted for the heroes our generation desperately needs. Just as the Bible points to heroes of the faith whose example we should follow, it also gives many warnings about imitating the ways of evildoers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 3 John 1, 1 verse 11 says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Psalms 1, chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Deuteronomy 18.9 says, When you enter the land of the Lord your God that he is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nation or peoples around you. You see, we need lives that are worth imitating. Many years ago, I remember watching some interviews with some athletes, some, some major stars, in fact, a particular NBA basketball star. And he stirred quite a bit of controversy by insisting that he, he should not be considered a role model. He argued that no one should imitate him just because he was a sports star. Now, I understand what he's trying to say, but the reality is when you distance yourself from sainthood because you are a famous athlete or a particular star that other people look to, then there is a place that we have to take responsibility. Even if we don't want to be a role model, we become a role model nonetheless. So he never claimed to be a model of spirituality. He doesn't, didn't want anyone to expect that of him, and he didn't expect everyone to look at all of his life under a bubble and to see his successes and failures as something that they should model after. But what he failed to see is this, is that anyone in public eye that has an inherent impact on their fans and children and young people and society around them. Likewise, we as Christians, or should I say those who claim to follow Christ, She'd be concerned also when we try to make that same argument. Don't call me a role model. I'm not a role model. I'm not perfect. That's true. But at the same time, once we call upon the name of the Lord, we now have His Spirit living in us. We're no longer the. We no longer belong to ourselves. We've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, and now we are temples of the Holy Spirit, purchased by that blood. We have a responsibility to let His light shine in us, that others might see Christ in us as well. They're drawn to the Christ in us, and we have to rec recognize it's a stewardship that's been given to us. It's a holy, holy stewardship. While it's true that, that we certainly aren't perfect, or no one is, and that's true, and we won't be anytime soon, that is still no excuse to shrug off our personal stewardship responsibilities to reflect the love and character of Christ. If our Christian faith is so hypocritical and compromised that it's not worth imitating, we need to take a personal, serious review of our own personal lives. Leonard Ravenhill used to say these words, Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? The Apostle Paul had no reluctance to challenge people to follow his example. He, he wasn't being in self-righteous manner. He wasn't saying, follow me. But with a spirit of humility and with confidence, he could say, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. In 2 Thessalonians 3.7, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. And then in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 and 16, it says, 
even though you have 10,000 teachers or guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel or example or mentor. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What's interesting, he says, is that he's not saying, look, that Paul is trying to say, I'm some sort of great super Christian hero that you need to follow. But what he is saying is that if you know who Christ is, then follow Christ in me. So again, I don't think Paul was challenging people to imitate him because he was some kind of great super Christian or superhero, but he knew that with a clear conscience, empowered by the grace of God and a posture of humility, he could confidently say that the life of Christ in him was worth imitating or following. God is not looking for clones of modern-day Christianity, but imitators of Christ. The late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, the founder of the Christian Men's Network, often said this, Champions are not those who never fail, but those who never quit. We need a persevering spirit because we need winners and champions for Jesus who don't look at themselves in some sort of super-Christian or superhero way, but we recognize that Jesus is our superhero. He's our champion. He's the one that we can emulate and follow. He's the one we can imitate. And so when Christ in us, living in us, is truly worthy of being followed, even in the example of those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, that we are not perfect in ourselves, but in a posture of humility, we can say, Lord, help me by your grace to follow you, that others can see you in me and follow you. We need modern-day heroes of the faith and courage today. The sad fact is that many of today's young people are not impressed by the example set before them. We, we have seen so many in our fight against spiritual darkness in our land, but rather have been often seduced by it because we don't see enough examples leading us out of this place of darkness in the midst of these spiritual battles we're living in. Try as we might to encourage others to be zealous disciples of Jesus, it's, it's hard for them to accept any message when it's undercut by our complacent and uninspiring lives. Paul encouraged both Christians and unbelievers to follow his example. In fact, he said to King Agrippa, when King Agrippa asked him, King Agrippa said, Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul's reply was so good. He said this, short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 28 and 29. If we're honest, we have to admit that in today's church, we have become a laughingstock in some circles in the eyes of the world. We have provided fodder for comedians and talk show hosts to ridicule the gospel. A healthy respect for the things of God has been replaced with a yawn or a chuckle. I remember the story I read and wrote about in one of my previous articles that the story has been told of a Sunday school teacher who asked the children in her class, and why is it necessary you should be quiet in church today? And one little girl's replied, because people are sleeping? See, it's time for us to waken from our sleep and arise. A church or a Christian that is soft and apathetic will never succeed in reaching a lost and hurting world. People, young people in particular, will be reluctant to give their lives for something that is shallow and hypocritical. Even unbelievers and the unchurched are tired of the hype and pretense they see around them. They're looking for reality. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for something to believe in. And they won't be moved with anything less 
This next generation, this prophetic generation, is the hope of the future. And they're just ready to come into their destinies if they know what to do and where to go and who to follow. We can see on the daily news just how volatile the world is around us. In contrast with this prevalent crisis, the Bible tells us clearly what it will take to again capture the imagination of young people today. In fact, in Psalms 110, verse 2 and 3, I love this in the New King James Version, it says, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Psalms 110, verse 2 and 3. See, the psalmist here is proclaiming that people shall freely volunteer for action in the day of God's power when the church again displays God's character and His power, it won't be hard at all to convince people around them about the claims of the gospel. Well, we need a heroes of courage. Although it might not be easy for the coming generation to see inspiring examples of heroes, the pages of history are filled with great examples of men and women who laid down their lives for what they believed in. We can see this throughout Scripture, as well as in books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and in numerous other stirring volumes cataloged remarkable accounts of unflinching devotion to Christ. I'm still moved each time I think of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Before being martyred in Nazi Germany, he stated these words, When Christ calls a man to himself, he bids him to die. In the first part of the 14th century, a young French teenager named Joan of Arc Although an inexperienced warrior inspired the entire French army, something no king or other leader had been able to do. Joan went to the general of the army and confidently told him, I'm going to lead the men over the wall. The general replied, Honey, there isn't one man who's going to follow you over the wall. And Joan of Arc said, I wouldn't know. I don't plan on looking back to check. Every man followed Joan of Arc that day. Her courageous heroism and example delivered her country. Those who say they are believers need that kind of heroic example as well. When we sing songs or lyrics like, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back, may they have more meaning than just words to us. Later at the age of 19 and about to be burned at the stake, Joan of Arc was given one last chance to deny her convictions and her faith. Here's her reply that challenges me to the core and should challenge all of our convictions today. She said, Every man gives his life for what he believes. Every woman gives her life for what she believes. Sometimes people believe in little or nothing, and yet they give their lives for that little or nothing. One life is all we have, she said, and we live it and then it's gone. But to surrender what you are to a life without belief is more terrible than dying, even more terrible than dying young. But there is a worse fate than living without belief. It is to live without a firm commitment to that which at the end of life, at the portals of eternity, turns out to have betrayed you. We need this kind of example of courageous leadership again. We need people today who exhibit this kind of radical commitment. The days of cosmetic Christianity are coming to an end. And what do I mean by cosmetic Christianity? It's like costume jewelry. Costume jewelry looks nice. It looks great, but it will never have value. 
We need to get past the cosmetics or the costume jewelry of Christianity and get back to authenticity of a relationship with the preeminent one himself. Jesus says in Colossians chapter 1, as I've shared before, he who all things were made to, through, for, and by him is the preeminent one. He's over all the principalities, rulerships, and kingdoms. Jesus is the preeminent one. And we as believers, when we come to understand that, we'll be committed to honoring him, lifting up the name of the Lord, and letting God work in us to reach people around us in very tangible, real ways. You see, Laodicean Christians must also decide whether they will be hot or cold, devoted or lukewarm. I just want to pause for a moment and say, Lord, even in the years of ministry that I've journeyed with you, I pray that you would help me to always be in that place of authenticity. Help me, Lord, to have that first love with you. Help me to have that renewed sense of passion every day, to live on fresh manna with you every day. Lord, help me always be hot or cold and not lukewarm, God. Help me to be truly devoted to you in all that I do say and think. Jesus, please be glorified in all that I do say and think. You have the right, Lord, because you are my Lord over every part of my life. You see, today we need a renewed passion for God that gives us a compassion for others. Genuine passion for God allows no room for compromise or mediocrity. Years ago, I wrote this, and I want to share this with you. How can we settle into complacency while multitude upon multitudes of lives are in the balance of eternity? How can we be so hardened of heart as to sit back on the beach of comfort and apathy while so many are still shipwrecked in the sea of destruction or despair? Leonard Ravenhill once wrote, Could a mariner remain idle if he heard a drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman let people burn without lending a hand? Can you sit in Zion or as a Christian while the world around you is damned? These are still powerful questions for us today. I believe we have windows of opportunity. Let us not miss our windows of opportunity. Even as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, that a great and effective door of opportunity has been opened unto me, but the adversaries are many. We live in a great and exciting time in which we, we the church, must bring a message of hope distractions and disappointments and discouragements, even temptations, can be works of the adversary to keep us from what God wants us to do to be effective at this time. Distractions can be our love of comfort and ease, or even the cares and securities of this world. We should call upon the Lord and His emergency hotline to find peace, grace, mercy, and purpose. God can turn it all around from the economy, our personal corporate circumstances, and worldwide situations his promises to us is a future of good and not of evil, of a future and a hope. If we will call upon him, he will answer us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 12. You see, God can do exceedingly beyond all we can think or imagine. He's given us a great and effective door to reach many with the gospel, the good news. Whatever door he opens, no man can shut. May we not have to look back and say weeks and months from now that the harvest is past. The summer is ended, and the people are still not saved. Jeremiah 8.20 We have an opportunity to bring a message of hope. In fact, I love Luke 21, verse 13, and I've shared it before, because it's an encouraging picture to us in the midst of challenges and worldwide situations. It says in Luke 21, verse 13, in the midst of all the crisis, verse 13 says, But let this be an occasion for your testimony. See, we need to be true intercessors today who know how to stand 
between those who are struggling and perishing, drowning in the sea of despair and destruction. Joel 2 verse 17 provides a vivid picture of true intercession. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? You see, the world is looking for answers. Why should they say, Where is your God? God is looking for modern-day heroes of the faith that will rise up in each occasion, in each situation, who, like Moses and Aaron, are willing to stand between the living and the dead and to stop the plague of sin or destruction. We see an example in Numbers chapter 16, verse 43-48 through 48 about this. This is not a comfortable place to be. Most of us would rather be spectators in the epic battles of our times. Hurrah for Jesus, we shout from the grandstands. Or... Maybe we're more concerned and upset about possible baseball strikes or who won a World Series, who lost the World Series. Those are things I enjoy. I love watching sports. But we have got to get perspective of where we really are today. And so many people that need more than just a bunch of grandstand cheerleaders or spectators in the epic battles of our times. Instead of standing in the gap between the living and the dead, we oftentimes sit in comfort on our padded pews. Instead of running into the flames... To rescue lost souls and rescue lives, we piously hide out in our stained glass coffins. I know that's a rough statement, and I don't mean that to be nonchalant. I don't mean it to be condescending. I, have to, I just say this because it's what I need to hear at times. I don't want to be hidden away behind stained glass coffins or stained glass windows in a place where we keep the bless me club within the four walls. I want to be those who are built up in the faith in our churches. We're, we're built up, we worship, we seek the presence of God. And from that place, God compels us, God calls us, God commissions us, God anoints us, God sends us out into a world where people are needing to be rescued because there are lost souls at stake and there are people that are hurting and broken and need what you and I have. George MacLeod, a famous Scottish preacher, once said, and I quote him in one of my books, I believe, Born to Die on the Work of the Cross, I simply argue that the cross should be raised in the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On the town's garbage heap, at a crossroads so cosmopolitan, they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble, because that is where he died. That is what he died for, and that is what he died about. And that is where church people ought to be and what church people ought to be about. What a personal challenge and conviction that God wants us to take the gospel outside of the place of the blessing into the place of being a blessing to others. Echoing that same kind of passion, for intercessory evangelism, C.T. Studd once wrote, Some like to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. To quote my friend, Pastor Dale Bronner in Atlanta, Our passion for Christ must be greater than our passion for anything else. Is there hope that we can really make an impact? Yes, absolutely, indeed. In fact, my friend Winky Prattney said, when God finds someone with courage to pray, preach, and live a life before Him of holiness and compassion, He can literally change the face of a nation. 
You see, courage and character in any man or woman shine most brightly in times of difficulty, circumstances, crisis, or intense pressure. The, the sirens and alarms of our day are screaming a resounding cry. Spare your people, O Lord. See, you and I can be part of the largest mobilized rescue effort in our day as we reach the multitudes living on the edge of eternity. The question is, will we answer the call? We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.